Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Go to parentpumpradio.com to leave your questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows. So the family structure and foundation is the number one defense against teenage substance abuse pregnancy, depression, stress, and so much more. And this is why I'm so passionate about my show, my book, and all of the things that I do to help family. My book is called Amazing Itty Bitty Book on Family Leadership, 15 Simple Tips Successful Companies Use That Families Can Implement at Home. It's just $6.99 on paperback and $2.99 on Kindle. And you can find the link to purchase the book in the show notes. This book is going to help you change your mindset. It's going to help parents make a conscious choice on their family's foundation structure and culture. And it's only 30 pages because I want you to spend time with your family. So it's very easy to read, digestible, concrete. It's a great way to start the new year with your resolution, not just for yourself, but have resolution to change your family. You can have a whole new family with the same one that you have right now. Today, we're talking about winter illnesses. A lot of flus and common colds and stomach viruses and strep are coming in. Maybe you didn't know this, but I looked on the internet a little bit about what happens in the winter. There's more than 200 different viruses that can cause just the cold. And young children get lots of colds, some as many as 8 to 10 each year before they turn 2 years old, and 200,000 average number that's the average number of Americans are hospitalized each year just because of winter illnesses. Our guest today lives here locally where I live in the South Bay area of Los Angeles. She grew up in Redondo Beach. She is a local mom. She went to Cal State Long Beach to get her bachelor degree in nursing and worked at a very busy trauma center called Harbor UCLA. She worked for years in the pediatric emergency room as an RN. Then she went back to school to UCLA to get her master's degree in pediatric nurse practitioner training. And what I love about her is that she has her own private practice, and she's been doing it for the past 20 years, and she actually does house call. Who does house calls anymore? Well, if you lived in the South Bay area, our guest today does house call for your kids. So she sees kids in their homes for issues like ear pain, cough, fever, sore throat, pink eye, high school, sports, physical injuries, wheezing, newborn exams, and the list goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Terry Cangiolosi. Hi, Terry. Hi, Jackie. How are you? I'm so good. I'm sure this is your busy season, right? Oh, yeah. Why did you start a business doing house call? Because that doesn't even exist anymore. No, it is kind of an old school theory. And after working in pediatrics for 17 years, three years ago, I said there must be a different way to do things. In primary care in the offices, you know, doctors and nurse practitioners are expected to see three to four patients an hour. So it's getting very rushed and it's, it was getting very impersonal. So I just thought maybe house calls would be a great solution. I can take my time. The family's more comfortable at home. Families can schedule an appointment when they want to and just wait for me at home to come over, which is nice. 
There's no dirty urgent care waiting rooms. There's no bringing your well child in with your sick child and exposing that child to illnesses. So I thought house calls would be a great way to, to kind of just change the, you know, kind of go back old school a little bit to where it was more personal. Makes sense. You're not exposing more sick kids to well kids. Mm -hmm. But I like to kind of talk about you just for at least five minutes or so, because what was it that inspired you to do what you do? Well, my mom was a local nurse at the hospital in Torrance here. And um, I kind of watched her really the basis of nursing. I almost feel like back in the day was helping people. You just really want to help people. And then in high school, I was working at a senior citizen home and I just kind of thought, oh, I'm going to go, which is kind of funny. I'm going to go into working with geriatrics and older patients. Yeah. And then come full circle after going to Long Beach State and getting my nursing credential, all of a sudden I'm loving pediatrics. I didn't have kids at the time, but I thought it was just such a great field to be in. So your mom sounds like she was an inspiration there. She was, yeah. Now that you've been doing this, what are some of the challenges and issues you face as a nurse and dealing with pediatric? Well, it's always tricky because it's not just, you know, the whole thing is people say, oh, kids are just little adults and they're really not little adults. So that's why I feel like it's so nice to have a specialized area for just pediatrics. Like I I get a little nervous when people just take their kids to the ER, take their kids to an urgent care. I'd rather have them go to the pediatrician office because I feel like that's where you're going to get the best advice and they have the most experience with just kids challenging as far as, you know, trying to get a good exam. Kids always get, and that's the other thing about house calls. Kids get nervous when they see an exam table. They get nervous when they see a white coat walk through the door. So it's nice that they're sitting on their own couch, you know, with their own toys around them. With house calls, they're just way more comfortable. I get a better exam that way. Especially Mm -hmm. younger kids when they're not understanding as well. Two, three-year-olds, I would think that would be really good. Yeah. And that's kind of the scary part about illnesses. You know, you want your kids to be verbal and say, mom, my ear hurts. But in those younger kids that aren't as verbal, it's, that can be a tricky call too. You know, what, what's hurting this child? That's why being with somebody experienced, seeing somebody, it's, we know what to look for. We know what the most likely thing it could be. So that's kind of a nice, you know, exam. A lot of listeners may not be in the Los Angeles airs. They can just call you. I want to make sure that we also give those listeners some things that they can leave this show with. Can you tell us what are some common illnesses that parents can expect this winter and what maybe we can do about it? Well, it's kind of interesting. I would say 20 years ago, it seemed like illnesses were so easy to predict. You know, chickenpox was always in the late winter, early spring, and croup was always in the fall. Hand, foot, and mouth was always in the spring or sometimes the fall. And then nowadays, it's just kind of a free-for-all. RSV, which is what pediatricians are always scared of every winter because it, it causes wheezing in young babies, especially the ones under five months old. Wheezing and RSV and pneumonias used to be seen December through March. And there are times when we see RSV now in August, which is bizarre. Even the allergy seasons aren't as predictable, I feel like. A lot of people suffer from allergies almost year-round, yeah. which is interesting. So Right now I'm seeing kids with a lot of bad coughs and cold symptoms, bronchitis, the stomach flu is terrible right now. Kids are getting pink eye at the local preschools and as always the dreaded head lice comes around, which everybody hates. But my kids always laugh because when we go to the movie theater, I say, put your hoodies up because I don't, you never know where you're going to catch head lice. So that's a really good point. I never thought about that, that they should be wearing hoodies when they go to the movie theaters. Yeah. Or we've thrown towels over the movie theater seats, which my kids are like, mom, like you're embarrassing me. It's like, I'm okay with that. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and you're right. I noticed that even the flu, the adults were getting the flu. Yes. They were going to the ER and getting and tested. You know, they test the nasal, do like a little nasal swab and 
Yeah, kids, uh, adults and kids were positive for the flu in August and September, which is not really common because you don't even have a chance to get your flu shot if that's what you want to do every year. But yeah, I guess that's the flu shot right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's getting the flu. You had it. <laughs> <laughs> so why do so many people get sick in the winter, though? I always thought it was because it's cold. Put on your jacket. It's cold. You'll get sick. But then there's researchers saying that it has nothing to do with the temperature. Yeah, I always feel like it's just more like it is colder, but now you're in close contact more okay. or it's the heavy season of maybe like the school year. So I feel like more kids are versus summer when they're off and not exposing each other as much at the beach or wherever. They just have these seasons where the bacteria and viruses are more prevalent. I see. Okay. People who have infants, what can they give an infant for that typical winter cold and cough? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, colds and coughs usually last around five to seven days. And the first three days are the worst. And then it slowly will start to calm down. And like you said, you know, it's 200 different viruses that can cause it. So in around 50% of the cases, it is rhinovirus. So antibiotics don't help. That's the number one thing parents need to know. And usually I recommend different treatment plans depending on the age of the child. Uh, infants under six months, you know, your best arsenal is like a good nasal suction system and maybe some saline drops. There used to only be just the newborn pumps, you know, bulb syringes from the hospital. And then nowadays, there's all these sorts of systems where the moms can suck on the tubing to get the mucus out. And you could add saline if you want to to each nostril and suck it out. There's this nose Frida system that's been great and is very popular. I feel like I'm the mean mom that would always like cover the opposite nostril while I was suctioning kids, which they infants hate like crazy. I always tell parents, don't worry about, you know, the color of the baby's nasal discharge. It's usually darker in the mornings or after a nap, and then it should get clearer. Infants don't usually get sinus infections. Their sinuses aren't even developed yet, but a lot of parents ask about that. I like using a shower steam, using a humidifier in the kid's room. Uh, some kids, you can prop a small towel under the crib mattress to prop their head up a little bit at night for drainage, and that helps. Yeah, and that's for young, like under three, because there's very little medicine that you can give children under three years old. Everything says... Don't give under yeah. three. There's a few homeopathic medicines that are, are okay to give, you know, down to that age, but I don't usually recommend those. The only thing I would recommend is once a kid hits six months to give them a little Benadryl before bed. And that just dries them up for a couple of nights and gives them a break from a cough. It's just a great antihistamine and it's known for causing sleep. So it's always good to have Benadryl in your house. What about, I know this may be off topic because it's nothing to do with medicine, but what about essential oils where you can diffuse it in the air? Is that okay for infants and younger children? I love the peppermint oil sort of thing, either diffused or maybe on the feet, but I usually recommend that in older kids, maybe over 10. A lot of little kids with their lungs are so small. I'm not, I don't love that they're exposed to um, a lot of crazy different types of essential oils, but I know moms that swear by it and they love it. So I would never say no, but I just wouldn't recommend it personally. I guess just do your research. And as a parent, you decide what's best for your children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know there are some companies that make it especially for children and young mm -hmm. children where they probably dilute it so it's not so strong. Mm -hmm. What about an older child? What can you give an older child for a cold? I would say, you know, usually it's like a honey if they're over one. Some sort of Zarbies is good because they're, they're honey-based. Blowing their noses is great. The shower steam is great. Benadryl again at night would be fine. I've made my own cough syrups in the past with honey and thyme and ginger. And uh, I have a recipe on my Facebook page for making that type of thing. Oh, really? Okay. We'll put that in the show notes to make sure that the listeners can go to that. Yeah. And sometimes Motrin is helpful if you have inflammation in your nasal passages or a sore throat. But like I said, every child is so different and every cold can be different. 
it can be tricky yeah. where you say, oh, that's my go-to. And then it doesn't work one time. Okay, well, let's try, you know, what else do we have? And now we talked about the cold, but then we talked earlier that this is also the season for flu. It is. Is there something you give differently to a child for a flu as opposed to a cold? Uh, it's more just making them comfortable. You can use your Motrin if you want. I'm not a big Tylenol proponent. I will use it at times, but Motrin is more my favorite. I think it tastes better. It lasts longer. Flus are one of those things where the kids are just going to be down for a day and a half and two days and you just have to expect it and just treat them with, you know, whatever little homeopathic stuff you could do at home to just make them comfortable. And then fever phobia. What is it? Well, it seems like everyone is afraid of fever. I don't know why. It's, I know it's sad to see your child burning up and hot and uncomfortable, but fever is the immune system you know, doing its job. It heats the body up to kill off the viruses and bacteria. So it does its, you know, it's doing, doing that for a reason. I'm more concerned at work when kids come in and they're not spiking fevers. Like, why isn't their immune system kicking in? What's going on with that? There certainly isn't a certain number as far as when the panic is with fever. Just because your child wakes up with a 103 fever doesn't mean that go to the doctor's office or go to the ER. I have seen kids with 101 fevers with a serious brain infection and a fever of 104, and it's just the stomach flu. So how, as a parent, do you know the difference? I mean, I, I wish p parents would just throw away their thermometers, because usually parents will have three to four thermometers that rarely work and give different numbers at all times. It's more just, how does your child look? Put your hand on their forehead. Are they hot or are they not? Are they comfortable or are they not? Sometimes I'll let kids brew at like 101 and kind of sit there and let the immune system fight it off. And then if it gets higher, or they feel uncomfortable, I would use Tylenol or Motrin. So basically what I'm hearing you saying is it's use your instinct and not just a number and listen to your child and see how they're feeling. And if it gets where a point where they're feeling really bad or extremely uncomfortable, then maybe give them something to lower the temperature or take them to the doctor, but don't just look at it as a number. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I moms go 103. That means go to the ER. That's not always necessarily the case. And I would say a lot of the times as an ex-pediatric emergency room nurse, 85% of the times the parents are underdosing their kids for their weights. When the moms come in and say, the medicine isn't working, the fever won't go down, I had to alternate Tylenol and Motrin, or the fever came back too soon, I wasn't due to give medicine again. Really, in reality, the dosing is wrong. It's always an issue as far as that goes. And the bottles will always get, tell you to do less than what you're supposed to do for a fever, a high fever, let's say or a really uncomfortable kid in pain. Then how do you know what's the right dosing? I have a dosing chart for Tylenol and Motrin also on my website and on my Facebook page where parents can go and look. If you get desperate, you know, kids are vomiting with a high fever and, or maybe refusing their medicine, but they're young enough that you can do a suppository and you feel comfortable. That's always an option for people. It's rare that you have to use it, but it's nice to know that that option is around. Yeah. When you need it right away, you can, don't have time to run to the store. Mm -hmm. And it's always at two in the morning. That's the other thing about starting a house call business. It's like, I feel like when my kids were little, they always got sick on a Friday night or on the yep. weekend. You didn't want to go to an, and there weren't urgent cares back then when my kids, I mean, there were little ones, but not like now. Yeah. So it's nice to have the urgent cares and the ERs, but people don't really want to go there on the weekends. Yeah. And then when your child's sick at two in the morning, and if you have another child sick, what do you do? Do you wake up the other child? Say you're a single mom or your husband's out of town or something. Do you wake up the other child to make him sit in an urgent care for an hour or two and, or the ER for even longer than that? It's, it gets difficult. Yeah, it just depends. You know, if kids have a high fever, I always recommend, you know, give them a little Tylenol and Motrin, see how they look, check them again in 20 to 30 minutes, and really think about what could be going on. 
because that usually you'll find your answer. You know, have they had a cough? Are they vomiting? Do they have ear pain? What does everybody else in the house have? And then that helps you judge what your plan should be. You won't have to go to the ER in the middle of the night if you have the right dose and the kids are comfortable and you just, that you put them back to bed. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> What's your stance on flu shots? Uh, flu shots. So flu shots are offered to babies now over six months of age and older. If it's the first winter of getting a flu shot, the babies will get one and then another one a month later. It's formulated every year. It's a new vaccine every year to try to guesstimate which types of flus or viruses are going to be prevalent that winter. So we've had years where flu vaccines are working well. And by well, I mean 50 to 60%. And that could be preventing you from getting the flu. It could be diminishing the symptoms if you do get the flu, or it could be shortening the course of the flu. And then there's some winters where the new, it'll be on the news. It works in 30% of the cases. And it, that's very disheartening as a provider to be the one recommending to families, get it, get it, get it. And it was a bad year, an unlucky year for guessing which viruses, and it just isn't working. I recommend flu shots usually to kids with chronic health issues, asthma or kidney problems or heart problems, kids that have had certain surgeries in the past, where you're thinking that even a 30 to 50% chance of decreasing the flu for them will make a difference and it's worth rolling the dice kind of thing. Right. If someone has a grandma undergoing chemo for breast cancer or someone with immunosuppression in the family, they might also benefit from a flu vaccine. But for the most part, I'm not a huge proponent of the flu vaccine. I think that if kids are healthy, they have a good diet, they have a good immune system, they can probably pass or not. You know, I always offer them to families, I explain the risks and the benefits, and I just let them decide. That's a good point. I agree with you. The kids are healthy, they're eating good. If they do get the flu, it shouldn't be that bad. And then they've got an immunity to it. It's better than giving them a shot that maybe only 30% uh, it's going to work most of the time. And then some people always say, oh, I you know, their families get the flu vaccine every year. They say, we never get sick. And they're those just that type of family. And then there's other families that say, I don't want the flu vaccine. I always get sick from the flu vaccine, which is yeah. what people say day in and day out. And I always say, you know what? You don't get sick from the flu vaccine. You get sick waiting in the waiting room for your flu vaccine. <laughs> you're touching the doorknobs. You're touching the pens. You're touching the chairs. People are there with the flu in the waiting room coughing. And you get sick a few days later and you go, oh, see, it was that flu vaccine. It's just kind of funny people's perception of the flu vaccine, but it, is, it should be an individual decision. Yeah, it definitely is. And especially as a parent, what you want to do for your family. I have a list of things that I do to prevent illnesses, winter illnesses. What do you recommend? I would say the biggest thing is hand washing. You know, people often overlook hand washing like crazy. A lot of moms are good with the portable hand sanitizers in their purses, and it's a great option on the run. But usually the hand sanitizers are antibacterial and not antiviral. And viruses are the most oh. common cause of illness in kids. That said, just the friction of rubbing on the antibacterial hand sanitizer may also kill viruses. Just the rubbing part of it could kill viruses. So I feel like that's important. So that's probably a really good one. Okay. And just probably cleaning counters and doorknobs a lot in your home and bathrooms. Yeah. You just don't, you don't have to go crazy though. I mean, I have some families with the cleanest, most over bleached <laughs> houses and their kids are always sick and they're, you know, so it's not necessarily that, that that's the case. And my kids, always, we always have this joke where my, they're like, oh, my mom is, you know, she always says these things in front of my friends when they come over. Kids need to be exposed to germs and illnesses That's and true. dirt and boogers yeah. and everything. The only thing I, my biggie though, is I do recommend wiping down the grocery uh. cart bars. 
because I feel like that is just a breeding ground for bacteria. You know, any time of the year, I feel like that's true. But yeah, and some store actually have wipe before you walk in so that you can do that. Yes, that's true. But yeah, yeah, I always gross my kids out. I always say, okay, you know, your mouth is dirtier than your bottom. Like I can't even tell you how much bacteria normally lives in your mouths. And they're like, oh, mom, stop. That's so gross. And then there's like always a study that says, you know, the kids that pick and eat their boogers were less sick than kids that didn't. Oh, so really? Are, there's actually- yeah. So moms are always like disgusted by that fact. But I always, I laugh about it, but I feel like, you know, there's probably a hint of truth to that. I can't believe they did a study on that. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was like an article that came out that we were all kind of laughing. Who volunteered to be the patient? That's what I want to know. Or the subject. They probably just question. Yeah. Questionnaire, you know, everybody, <laughs> but who's going to say my kid never picks their nose. I don't know <laughs> if that's an accurate study. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the studies, you know, about the fast food restaurant, ice machines with more bacteria oh, yes. than they find in the bathrooms. Yeah. I've heard so, of that. They're always make, you know, for great dinner conversations at my house. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. When you, before you eat. Yeah. But I mean, back to prevention, I would say like a good diet is helpful. You know, I always recommend occasional vitamin supplementation for kids, even kids that eat well. I don't feel like they get enough vitamins and nutrients, even from the veggies and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Now um, with all the pesticide, it's just killing all the nutrients anyways in the vegetables and, and fruits. And just the poor like crop rotation yeah. and stuff. I don't know that they can get that soil like it used to be where we had more room and more. Are more minerals mm-hmm. in the soil. You're right. What do you tell parents to do to get ready for winter? I have a list. Usually it's a great checklist because that's the number one question I always get every fall. Like, what can I do? What can I do? And you're right. You know, your kid will always get sick at two in the morning. So you don't want to be looking at your husband going, honey, go get me some Tylenol at two in the morning and trying to find the 24 hour CVS. I try to give people a list and say, really, honestly, just get these things, whether you use them or not, it's worth it. Tylenol and Motrin suspension would be great to have. Keep it in your refrigerator. It tastes better cold. The fever all suppositories are good. Also kept in the refrigerator for kids more likely under two or three. I would buy a liter of Pedialyte for kids under one if they get the stomach flu. Gatorade for kids over one. I always say no red because that can be mistaken for blood in the stool. And kids a lot of times with the stomach flu will have diarrhea. So you don't want it to look like blood in the, in the diarrhea. Hide a couple sodas in the garage. Caffeine-free, Sprite or root beer would be great. Uh, chicken noodle soup, honey for coughs, Benadryl for teething. A lot of kids, parents are saying, oh, my kids always get a runny nose. And it's really teething a lot of the times. They, they feel like these frequent runny noses. But if you see the age of the child and you look at their teeth coming in, it's always related because the saliva will cause increased congestion. Sometimes you're cold, cold, cold. And really, it's just teething measures and almost a little bit of cold measures and the kids would be fine. Benadryl is good for that. That nose frita suction system is good. Saline drops, a humidifier. And you can do a cool mist or a warm mist humidifier. And then keep a list of friends or family that have a nebulizer machine. You know, once in a while, kids that don't have asthma will wheeze in the wintertime. And there's nothing that takes away wheezing except for some sort of breathing treatment. Can't wait it out. You can't just, it just doesn't go away without a little bit of something. That's what I always tell people to keep in their house if they can. And this winter checklist is on your website and your Facebook at least somewhere? Yes, Mm -hmm. it's on both. Between your website and your Facebook page. There's a wealth of information there. Yeah, I try to update it as much as I can. I know you're really busy in the winter time and probably the fall. What about the spring and summer? Are you still doing house call and what are you seeing kids for? It's kind of one of the challenges of my business is that it is so seasonal. I'm looking to add new things. Adding high school sports physicals was great. So I'm busy doing that in the summer. Newborn exams are always popular. And then I've started um, doing a little bit of teen talks. So someone's worried about their teenager, their middle schooler. I can go to their house and just kind of give them some 
kind of assess them and give them some information about, you know, being a teenager in the South Bay, what's it like? What's normal? You know, how am I supposed to feel? Why do I feel a little depressed as a girl every three weeks? And it's so hormonal. It's always nice to kind of add a little bit of that. For the people that don't live in the South Bay, how can you help them? I think by checking my webpage, you know, I always have really good information that works anywhere about Tylenol dosing charts or what do I expect right now? What can I do for my child? How can I treat head lice? There's always something interesting on the page that would be good. There are also other you know, areas that have some sort of concierge house call businesses. I feel like they're going to be on the rise. So I would you know, Google that and check and, and have that number ready just in case there is somebody in your area that does house calls, especially a pediatric professional would be great for your kids. And especially now with the population getting denser, it's harder just to drive somewhere because I feel like we just want to stay in our bubble. It's just so much traffic, so much time to get yes. from one place to the other that you want to stay in your area. It's all about convenience. People are so busy. By the time you realize your child is sick, it's 4.30 in the, and you can't get into the pediatric office. So it's always nice for the house call businesses or for the urgent cares to be available for people after hours. There's also a new wave of telemedicine that's starting probably more for psych patients where you can stay at home and Skype your appointments with your doctors, which I think is a great idea. I think it's tricky for the future with pediatrics and telemedicine. I don't know that how are you going to check an ear through a computer? You know, sometimes you can't quite see a rash very well on the computer. So it just depends. I, I don't think that will affect my business, but I think it's great for other types of businesses where that would work. So now what's your hours on house calls? Um, right now I'm doing 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day because it's winter time and I just feel like I'm, it's nice to be more available to patients. Okay, well, great. So listeners, you can access Terry at her website and all information is in the show notes. It's beachkidshousecalls, with an S, dot com. Her phone number is 310-697-6833. The Facebook page is Beach Kids House Calls. Go to the show notes and you can just click on the link. And Terry, thank you so much for all that information for us parents on what to do. Yeah, you're welcome. No, it was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.